Screw It, We're Just Gonna Talk About Comics is brought to you by Shortbox. That's right. Somebody wanted to partner with us. Shortbox is an app and a website for safely buying and selling graded comic books. You can get it on iOS, Android, even a regular old computer. And they're trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industries. And Shortbox trusts us. Therefore... We have worth. Amazing. Uh, right now, they're doing a giveaway where you can win a free copy of The Dark Knight Returns number one, the 2018 printing signed by Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen. <laughs> Go to shortbox.com slash screw it to enter your email. No purchase necessary to be in the running. And that contest is going until March 10th, 2022. Download Shortboxed today. I will. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. Get it straight. Uh, this is the only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like, and that's something that's comic books. I'm one of the two brothers. My name is Will Hines. And the other brother slash host, Kevin Hines. And hey, we're not just hosts and brothers, although yes, that's how we identify ourselves in most contexts. Mm-hmm. We're also sort of comedians, okay? We've actually yeah. done funny things in public sometimes. Yeah, we've been filmed and on stage mm-hmm. and we've done things and sometimes people laughed at what we did and that was always the intent of what we were doing. Sometimes they would just furrow their brow and go, was that it? Mm-hmm. But that's uh, still, that still counts as interesting to people. I think a lot of people consider us funny. And, and then if you ask, have you ever laughed at anything they did? They might say no. I think if you ask, you know, people who had seen us, hey, are they funny? That you, I think a typical answer you get is, ah, uh, Yeah. Right. So there you go. That's who we are. (laughs) Um, And you are tuning in to one of our world famous (laughs) mutants and mailbag episodes where we cover a handful of issues from Chris Claremont's uh, early days on the Uncanny X Men. Mm -hmm. And then we answer some emails we've received from our listeners like you. Now, Kevin, do you think our mutant and mailbag episodes are more popular than our other episodes? I think yes. They definitely attract new like listeners. Like there are mm-hmm. people who like will show up for an X-Men discussion who might not show up for something else. I mean, based just purely on likes on Instagram, based on the images I post, that's how I'm basing it. Our uncanny X-Men images get more likes generally than our other images. Yes. Now that's a very unscientific. There's no, I mean, I guess we have download numbers we could check. That'd be the we better can, way to, to check. Right. We should do that. Uh, <laughs> and I know sometimes but, but, our, our other episodes like Secret Wars, I know, got a fair amount of email interaction. Yeah. And that also did pretty well. Some of them like do better on Instagram um, than others, you know, obviously, you know, depending on what we're covering. Our interview episodes, we get a little less Instagram likes because we're generally covering like just random one off issues. Uh, yeah. Dark Knight's doing pretty good on Instagram. I think yeah. Dark Knight's comparable to what we do for Uncanny X-Men. OK. All right. Dark Knight. Um, but what what did we do last season? What was the previous season? Was, um, it, inter, uh, was it just guests? Was it, did... We did guests. And I can't remember what we did before that. Um, Sandman, Justice League International. Superior we did... Spider-Man. Was that the last Superior thing Spider-Man. Did? Yes, that's right. That was the last thing we did? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't think that did as well as around Jenny X-Men. Although we did have a lot of fan sort of like clamoring for us to cover that. Yes. People demanded it. And then when we did it, they said, let's listen to these X-Men episodes. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, really, I'm really enjoying it because the X-Men has been a huge, huge hole in my own personal comics knowledge. So I'm, I'm really loving getting a chance to fill that in. Mm-hmm. 
You like putting things in holes? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> is that a joke? Would that count? Would that get a furrowed brow from an audience? <laughs> I, I think when the office was on, it would. I, <laughs> um, okay, right. so t- today we're going over issues 159 to 162. Yeah. We, we got vampires. We got dads and sons. We got the brood. We got cool. We got, yeah. we got Magneto. We got some, we got, we got some we stuff got the going demon. Down. This is a hodgepodge of uh, stories. I'm going to tell you. Pot, I'm, potpourri, it's a real mix. Yeah, potpourri. Let's well, whatever you want to call it. You can pronounce <laughs> it right or wrong. That's up to you. <laughs> You're a real, like any podcast, we're a real. Facts are what we say they are. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's when you have a podcast, you're allowed to just say stuff. You're allowed to just yeah. be like, well, I don't really agree that gravity is a thing that happens. And if you don't like that, you can quit Spotify. We're sticking around. We're sticking around. I'm glad Neil Young's gone. Yeah, well, more room for us. <laughs> We're on Spotify, right? I assume we are. I, I actually just... don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, well, ooh, that's a strong stance from the Brothers Hines. If we're um, on Spotify, I guess we'll stay there. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say this about these four issues. I think that I can see the X-Men are writing the ship. It's still wobbly, but I can oh, see it improving because like, I think that like after John, John Burns issues with Claremont, some of the best superhero comics I've ever read, then things got kind of disorganized, still cool. I still liked them, but they felt just kind of like the plots were messy. They jumped all over the place. We're getting different artists a lot. That's still happening. But there are a couple of things that happen in these issues that make me think, okay, Claremont is laying some strong foundation for how he's going to keep the franchise going and, you know, continue to, make it one of the most successful franchises ever. I, I can see the ship straightening. That's what I think. Yeah. I mostly uh, did not enjoy any of this that we read. <laughs> uh, some of the subplot stuff was interesting, uh, but I would say the lion's share of these, uh, the last issue we read is pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Uh, yeah. But the other three issues um, are not, I think. That's my take. Uh, Dave Cockrum just couldn't keep up with the monthly pace. And obviously he's more at home with the space stuff, which I'm less interested in, I guess, overall with these X-Men. Yeah. So then we got like the stronger stuff is my least, uh, the, 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 the parts of the story that I've least enjoyed so far. Um, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I do agree that Cockrum seems to be rushing. And even though he co- co-created these, people he's kind of like he's kind of he's not a good fit anymore it's weird yeah i'm looking forward to uh i think paul smith is the next big artist i'm, I'm uh, yeah i'm looking forward to that if not the john ramita jr stuff that might be way in the future i really can't we don't know anything i don't know how this works i think that the professor x and magneto history and relationship gets strengthened in these issues in a way that's really fundamental and important and great and i found it really compelling and good okay and when I try to think about it as new, like, oh, it's new that, Mag- you know, that Magneto's, like, I think it's revealed here for the first time that he was a in, Holocaust, in the Holocaust survivor. and a survivor. And that informs a lot of his yeah. opinion. It's also, I think, cemented that Magneto and Professor X were friends and sort of allies as young men yeah. who grew apart. I think that's, you know, that's so part of the bedrock of these characters now. But seeing that get born is kind of like, woo. Exciting. Yeah, those those details are very cool, and obviously they are key to what makes Magneto a good character. So, like before this, he was just cool powers. After this, he becomes like a good character. Yes, and maybe that story was just hurt because of what it followed. 
I could care less about that story. I was just sort of like, I got to get through this because I'm going to talk about it. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I was I had- not interested in the story itself, even though I was like, oh, look, they're finally dropping this information that I already knew about Magneto. Yeah, my, my experience I've been for was that to show up. That information was the star of the show. Like that mm-hmm. was kind of like make pulling me through that particular. I guess we'll we'll get to it. So, um, yeah. but there's also some real, <laughs> real stuff that I did not enjoy in these issues. So yeah, let's, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's get into it. One fifty nine. One fifty nine. Guest artist. Uh, Bill Sinkevitz. Yeah. Early, early Bill. Pre oil painting Bill. So this is an artist who would very soon start to be the guy. He also uh, he would be the New Mutants artist at one, for a long time yeah but he, he became a guy who just started doing oil paintings as his regular panel to panel art um and, and then and then and when he would do pencil art it would be like abstract and yeah the Sinkevitz style became incredibly noticeable and i loved it i was a huge fan of it uh and this is at a time when not too many artists had hugely singular styles frank miller did Walt mm-hmm. Simonson's did. I wouldn't even say that John Byrne was too singular in no. his rendering style. His storytelling, yes. John but Byrne like, was good, but he was doing what felt like one notch away from Kirby. Just like standard Marvel yeah. style. And um, or maybe John Romita Sr. is a is a more better yeah, example of the standard right. house style. But um, but Sinkevitz would soon become like I don't know, one of my favorite artists ever. So he, but here he's still doing kind of standard stuff, although we see little glimpses of the abstract here or there. Yeah, his style sort of peeks through. Parts of it don't look that great. Parts of it look pretty cool. And you can see what's coming if you know, I guess. Uh, it, it's got more of a Neil Adamsy feel, like slightly exaggerated characters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite all work. Uh, and like if, if this was like his peak, you'd be like, this guy wasn't good. I, I agree. Since this is like his birth. You're like, ooh, here it comes. Uh, yeah, it's kind of exciting to see. Unfortunately, the issue the he's doing. The story is a real. The story is real bad, I think. Uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say bad. It, it just it just feels no, like it's a bad. Movie. It's bad. It's dumb. I am uh, generally against Dracula being in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> this is not, I think, when he first shows up, I assume. I think uh, he was all over the 70s, right? Like, Yeah, I think he's a known thing, and he still shows up from time to time now. He just doesn't fit. He feels weird. He feels shoehorned in. It just, I don't, you know. Wait, 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 wait. Did Stanley not create Dracula? <laughs> so, no, Steve Ditko did. Okay. Uh, but for creepy, uh, not for, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, it just, it just feels like, I, I, would, I wish it was a Marvel vampire. Weirdly, I think it would work better. Mm-hmm. But adding in the entire mythos of the Dracula universe into the X-Men, is just confusing. It's also, weird. when this story's done, Am I to believe that Storm is a vampire now? In typical X-Men fashion, that just kind of gets erased at the end of the issue and she's not, right? We're definitely supposed to think she's... she still seems like maybe. Is that right? I don't know. She's still like thinking about it next issue. Yeah. Uh, It's unclear. I mean, she seems like she went pretty far into the transformation in this issue. It seems like she becomes a full-on vampire and then at the end she just decides no. So just for the people who are listening. Maybe anyway, yes, this. let's talk about this story uh, clearly. The, the high-level summary is Dracula um, <laughs> attacks Storm in an alley and then begins to visit her at night, which is what would happen in the original Dracula novel. He would get a victim and begin to visit them at night and begins the transformation of turning her into a vampire, 
but Kitty Pride's love for her, she's able to kind of willpower away the transformation and she is saved. And then they kind of fight Dracula off and he runs away. That, that's like the high level summary. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's, that's the story. Yeah. The X-Men fight some wolves. I mean, it's weird, but I mean, storm has, she has the teeth. <laughs> She's chasing people down to bite them. She's burning from sunlight and, and uh, holy symbols. I mean, it looks like she's a vampire. It looks like yeah. she goes all the way. Um, it's it, There's a lot of funny things about vampires in general, which is like there are so many rules associated with vampires that when yeah. people do vampire stories, they're real selective in which ones they enforce or don't that's enforce. That's right, yeah. That, that's not restricted to this issue. That's any vampire story I've ever yeah. read. It's always very funny in a vampire adaption where they're just sort of like, that's just from the books or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, but so are, so are these rules. Yeah. Like, they'll be like, sunlight, not this world. Come on, idiot. Why'd you yeah. think that? Steaks are the only thing. And then other ones, it's like, steaks don't work. Or in like, the original- blade is like silver, <laughs> right? Silver bullets kill vampires in the blade universe. Yeah. In the original novel, traveling over water was a big problem for vampires. That was yeah. like a big part of the story. <laughs> and also he had to be near certain kinds of soil like he had to his take his ancestral soil, soil yeah yeah a lot of that goes away so some of it still is there i don't know i guess she is cured i'm looking at the last page and she's flying in sunlight and kitty goes she's cured but i don't understand why i don't understand why either but we're definitely supposed to think she's cured um we don't even have like the standard like oh they killed dracula so like his victims are all cured you right. know like kill the queen and uh all the uh downstream all the yeah. all the uh slaves or whatever are freed or whatever you, whatever you say um i there were a couple interesting things in here though like uh claremont makes a big deal that if you try to use a cross to scare a vampire it only works if you have faith so when kitty pride who's jewish holds a cross it doesn't work but when she holds a star of david it does work mm-hmm. when wolverine holds a cross since he basically doesn't have faith it doesn't work but when nightcrawler who does have faith Mm -hmm. And this will become a huge part of his character holds the cross. It does work. That kind of felt very X-Men-y to me, like that Claremont is digging into different religious faiths among the characters that, that felt like sort of like cool future X-Men stuff. Yeah. Um, Uh, Just, I mean, holding up the Jewish faith so obviously is just a rare thing in these comics. There aren't a lot of overtly Jewish characters at this time. And cert- there really aren't a lot of faith-based characters. There's just not a yeah. lot of talking about religion at all. So right. um, that's kind of interesting and cool. Um, uh, no, I just want to say that every single battle the X-Men get into, they do a fastball special. Like that's something that I think that's their yes, only yes. move. Yeah. Um, and then they do a fastball special. It Usually doesn't work, and then Peter goes by the White Wolf, and but they're gonna try it next time. What's funny about the the fastball special in this issue? Normally we see like Wolverine in the air flying towards something, and you know Colossus arm extended. We see like after the throw, we see Wolverine go fastball special in one panel, and then Wolverine's in the air in panel two. This one we see Colossus with his hand on Wolverine's butt, yeah, holding him. Yeah. It looks embarrassing. Um. That that, you know, that 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 is what happens every time they do the fastball special. We are missing sort of this sort of humiliating moment where Colossus <laughs> picks up Wolverine by his bottom, bottom, yeah, by his buttocks, yeah, and hurls him forward. 
which I guess that makes sense, I guess, is what happens. But it just looks a lot less graceful in this story. But it's funny <laughs> to see that in-between image. At least it's not like Wolverine gets piggyback piggyback onto Colossus and then Colossus like sits him up on his shoulders like a like putting a toddler up there. You know what I mean? There could be there could be a more humiliating way to do it. I mean, there could be a more humiliating, but it just it does not look cool. The fastball special you consider like oh this cool thing, the strong guy throwing the the vicious guy. But then when you see it in reality, you're like, that's eh, I mean, now I want to see the part where like he picks Wolverine up and like sort of cradles him yeah. and moves him into his hand. I don't know. I'm kind of, you know what? I, this story was silly. Um, I agree. Just a vampire instead of capital D Dracula would feel more Marvel, like like um, m- maybe Mobius or something like that. Yeah. I mean, also you could then set your own rules because like if you're even sticking to Dracula rules, you can have something where it's like, oh, you're cured if X, Y, or Z happens. And it isn't sort of feeling like, oh, yeah. This doesn't fit the book. You're stealing this character. From. It's weird to steal some some. Uh, it'd be like if Sherlock Holmes showed up, or like Mister Darcy. It'd be like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen into yeah, the Marvel and universe. And if that stuff happens, and it's like an Elseworlds or an anniversary or a dream sequence, or uh, even like I think Batman has teamed up with Sherlock a few times, but then like those don't feel like they're happening in between Joker adventures. Yeah, they feel like they're just like oh, here's a side thing that didn't really happen. Maybe. Yeah. Or was that Sherlock Holmes? I'll have those sort of stories too sometimes. Yeah, it feels weird to have Dracula in the Marvel Universe. Um, It's bad. Okay, it's bad. Let's move on to the next issue. Yes. So if that's your favorite issue, I apologize. If if we just hurt your feelings, Mm -hmm. we're sorry. So issue 160, this is a sort of, so we've, this is like a Cthulhu ish kind of demon story. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is the start of Ilyana's powers, her limbo thing yeah so iliana who will be one of member of the new mutants who's colossus little sister she's mm-hmm. six years old at the start of this issue but because of the events of the story becomes 13 years old right she gets sort of tricked into going to some sort of limbo demon realm uh the x-men go in to save her i guess sort of succeed but at the last second she gets iliana gets pulled back in for just a brief moment but in that brief moment ages seven she years. spends seven years before she gets pulled back out and nobody is quite sure what happened to her in those seven years. She seems largely okay. Other than she's older. Yeah. Um, But that is a huge status quo shift for Colossus's little sister. And I'm going to say that I enjoyed that plot twist that like something that big could happen and that there were that major consequences that we're going to live with as opposed to storm becoming a vampire for four pages. And then we forget about it. I kind of thought it was cool. Yeah, I like Ileana. I mean, I've read some New Mutants. I've always liked that character. I like that part of her story. It was cool seeing where that happened. I always knew it happened. Um, the story itself, like, like most magic-based X-Men stories, uh, leaves me cold. There's some cool ideas here, but uh, like where you see sort of the dead X-Men being encountered by the living X-Men. Like So like a Nightcrawler finds the uh, Wolverine's of, bones. Yeah. And other people find Colossus hollowed out, but like they're not dead. It's just sort of like time sort of has no meaning. Like that's a cool idea. I don't know if it quite lands for me, but I like the idea of it. I did get confused over the rules. I was like, so wait, what's happening? Did he like, we, we've had a lot of um, X-Men versus like fake versions of the X-Men. And sometimes the rules are clear. Like the guy who made the Sentinels built Sentinel versions of the X-Men and mm-hmm. they're robots and there's one for each. 
you know, or like the danger room concocts something. But this is like, like you say, Kevin, would you say that you are annoyed when the, the rules and the boundaries of the powers are vague? Yeah. I don't like, uh, I don't like, I like having rules so that you can know uh, when you're breaking them. You're allowed to break rules, but you need to know when you're doing that. You can, you need to know what those limits are so that you can say like, okay, well, uh, Wolverine can't do this. So how is he going to get out of this problem? Right. Like, that's, yeah. Uh, I can't, um, the Wally West for a while couldn't run so fast that he could run through a building. Right. Like, which, which the Barry Allen flash could do. So how does Wally West deal with the same problems that Barry Allen would have been trapped by? Yeah. Um, he's got a limitation there now. Um, magic gets tricky with that because, it, you can just sort of like, oh, I cast a spell or magic is why. If that's your answer, it sort of gets wishy-washy. So you have like two methods that work for me. One is sort of like where the the magic sort of doesn't matter for what the conflict is. And I think that's sort of like what Sandman does and what Lucifer does yeah. in the Vertigo comics. It's sort of like they sort of are all powerful and magical, but that's not where the conflict or the um, the problems come from. Yeah. It isn't like, how are they going to make this wolf go away? Because, you know, Dream snaps his finger and the wolf fades or whatever. It's, you know, how is Dream going to cheer up? Yeah. No or how is, how is Dream going to be convinced that this is his problem? Yeah. Uh, how is he going to be convinced this is an obligation? Because often Dream is like sort of a side character. Right. And so th that's what makes those stories interesting. Or those magic just needs to have very clear rules. Here's the spells you can and can't do. And here's... And that's what uh, a fantasy writer I like, Brandon Sanderson, is really good about. His magic systems have very clear rules. Yeah, yeah. What the limits and aspects of these powers are. And if you're going to break those things, there's got to be a reason. It's going to be an explanation. Or they have to use the magic in a creative way to get around it. I was, that was really good about that. Did you ever read the book, The Magicians, that series? I read the first book. I thought they have a limitation in there where like the, you know, that's, it's sort of like a weird, like alternate Harry Potter universe. There's like mm -hmm. normal people go to a magic school. It's quite different than Harry Potter, but that part's similar. But um, you learn at the magic school that people who have magic powers, you, you're not really able to change your physical appearance too much. Um, for some reason, magic just doesn't work. And if you try to do it, there's like consequences. And um, it's just so you don't have a bunch of perfect looking people throughout because everybody would just make themselves incredibly attractive. And they're basically not allowed to do that, mm -hmm. except for momentary disguises or something. Yeah. I mean, limitations, I think, are interesting. Yeah. That's good. A, a fun one. Uh, and so this world doesn't seem to have those limitations. So, and like what ends up ha happening is that what it feels like in magic stories is like, oh, we can't stop this guy because of magic. And now we can. Right. Because magic. <laughs> didn't right. work as well. I, I, we, we didn't say the high level. Of this is like the X-Men are on their little temporary headquarters that Kevin and I have been calling Cthulhu Island because it's like all these weird Cthulhu like imagery and it's in the Bermuda Triangle. They've come here to powwow about what to do about Professor X who's in a coma. And then like they just find this demon, right? Mm -hmm. This demon who lives somewhere in Cthulhu Island and has been waiting summons them for a battle. Yeah. Um, it will get some storm and some scantily clad outfits. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. he liked that. Also Sim shows up, who is like a big character from limbo, Ileana's limbo world. And I feel like I should have recognized this immediately. He's Cerebus, right? From Dave oh my Sims. Gosh. 
I didn't see that until you said it. Yeah, he looks just like Cerebus. And does this predate Cerebus? I can't have predated. I mean, it must. It, this looks like it is somebody is a fan of Cerebus and created like a demon version of him. Okay. I'll look Amazing. up when Cerebus starts while you vamp. So what I'm going to say here is I think this this issue, issue 160, is an example of what I'm talking about, about the ship getting righted. Because like Kevin's saying, the, the, the battle story is kind of soft, right? Like the magic rules, they apply here, they don't apply here. They fight for a while and have trouble, and then suddenly everything works out. And it's not 100% clear why. Maybe if we read really closely, they're doing some minor justification of it, but it doesn't really feel like it makes sense. However, the we're starting to get like character stuff, like Colossus's little sister being trapped for seven years and then aging just creates a really interesting dynamic. Before this story, Olyana was just his little sister. He's worried about her. Mm -hmm. Kitty Pride reads a bedtime story now and then, whatever. You got a kid around. But in this story, you you are left with Alana being a completely compelling character who's had this kind of tragedy happen to her, a mystery adventure, maybe some demonic powers, um, uh, all of a, you know, you've turned what was just a little side character you wouldn't pay attention to. Now, Alana is somebody that every time she's in the panel, you're like, oh, I wonder how she's doing, or I wonder, I wonder if we're going to find out what happened to her. Um, that's like a huge step forward. I, I guess maybe the characters are starting to become just better stories. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe not their personalities so much, but like they have interesting an interesting world inside of them and that's starting to happen and it happens here and i think like i'm left the the x universe is better at the end of this issue than it was at the beginning in a huge way and i'm like oh claremont is gearing up i think yeah i, I agree with that i just wish the issue was entertaining sure, uh, so there's no reason why the story couldn't also be good but so i looked up cerebus so this comic came out in 82 mm -hmm. cerebus started in the 70s 77 or 78 uh, here, here's something else. This character's name is Sim. Yeah. Oh, Dave Sim created Cerebus, right? Yeah, which I feel even stupid that I didn't make that connection till I read it uh, on this wiki. Um, apparently in Cerebus Yardvark, uh, he created a villain named Professor Charles X. Claremont. Oh, okay. So this was sort of the response to that. Uh, it doesn't seem like a mad response. Just sort of like, oh, I'm in your book. You're in our book. We'll name him after you, and he'll look a little bit like Cerebus. Oh, this really character, like, lasts. He shows up, like, for the Inferno story arc, whatever, in the late 80s, early 90s, late 80s. I, ne I never really read Cerebus. I looked at a couple issues here or there. You know, he did, like, a parody of Sandman, and I read that or something. And, like, mm -hmm. our youngest brother was a big Cerebus fan. He read uh, a bunch the, of the early the, volumes, the, yeah. The third Heinz brother, Brian Heinz, big Cerebus fan. I don't. Did he read it all eventually? I know he read the early fun uh, books. I think he might have. I read a uh, like an issue or two, and it it just didn't click for me. And obviously, it was so daunting. Even even then, like when it was hard to get reprints, I just sort of never thought about it. It's tough when you're thinking of picking something up. I mean, I felt that way about picking up X Men, and you know, there's just like thousands of pages in front of you. Yeah, you need a podcast to get it done. You need a podcast that takes forever to get through it, and then that's the way to do it. Um, well, so I thought the story was iffy, but I, I was I was encouraged by that issue. Should that's we move fair. on to the next one? Let's do it. 161. So this is the, we're going to visit into Professor X's mind. He's trapped in a coma. But yes. the real story is in his mind, he's having like a flashback to being a young man when he could still walk. 
And we see that he was friends with Magneto and they fought together. And we learned that Magneto is a survivor of the um, Holocaust camps. And we kind of get, they be, we see their philosophies towards things, which becomes mm-hmm. a huge part of the Professor X Magneto deal. And that's kind of born in this issue. Yeah. Um, and Baron Strucker is the villain, a, a Captain America, Nick Hydra Fury guy. villain. Yeah. Yeah. Hydra's kind of like the stand in for the Nazis, right? In the Marvel yes. universe. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, they're really like um, conspiracy theory Nazis because they're like, you know, hidden in plain sight or whatever. So we see a flashback. So Professor X is in a coma because of the brood. In his mind, he's like in some psychic war. The X-Men don't know what to do. But in his brain, he's having a flashback to when he saved a young woman who was in a catatonic trance from being like tortured basically by Hydra because she they told her where some hidden treasure was and then tortured her so she would only tell them, but that like accidentally put her in a coma or something like that. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't into it, so I couldn't 100% follow it. Um, but they eventually find the gold and Magneto takes it. Um, yeah, like Magneto and Professor X, Professor X is brought to a hospital where this woman's in a coma and, and they know that he has psychic powers and they ask him to kind of intervene and he goes into her brain and sees that she's been traumatized and there's defenses. He, he using his powers is able to wake her up, mm-hmm. but then Hydra show up and they kidnap her because they know, Oh, she's got the location of our stolen gold. Um, if you're going to be a Nazi or a Nazi analog, you got to have some stolen gold. Yep. And uh, Magneto and professor X then try then save her from Hydra. And in doing that, we, we learn that um, Magneto is, was a survivor of the Holocaust camp and we also see just how insanely powerful Magneto was. I guess that's always been true, but Professor X and Magneto teaming up are is pretty formidable. Like they yes. they like make quick work of a lot of these Hydra guys. And it's kind of exciting to watch. Yeah, I mean, together they can handle a lot of things. Uh, and they're really confident and they're really smart. And they have yep. these philosophical discussions over we must not spare. We should kill these villains, says Magneto. And Professor X says, no, we have to save everybody. Um, you know, that's, that's some good, that's some good superhero stuff right there. So yeah, I agree. The story about the girl being in a trance and she's got hidden treasure map hidden in her brain. This is all happening within modern day professor X being in a coma. Yeah. Yeah. It was annoying. I I did. I wasn't interested in sorting through that too much, but again, the conversations between X at the end of this issue, Magneto is a hundred times more interesting than he was at the beginning. And yes, the relationship so, so, between Professor X and Magneto is so again, this is what I mean. The ship is being righted. The mythology is getting like organized here. Like I think, I think Claremont's gearing up. I can, he might I can not agree even with know that. it. He might just be making an interesting issue, but the effect is going to be he's creating the X-Men universe the way we know it. I, it's kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree with all that sentiment. I uh, and I think this issue was hurt for following two stories that I was not into. Mm-hmm. And especially I, if I put myself in the mindset of buying this, I'd be like, oh, last month and the month before, I didn't really love these comics. And then right. I got this month, I'd be like, Ugh, can't we just yes. get a good X-Men story? That's true. You know, th- that might be what Byrne brought to the table was he minded the actual plot of the that mm-hmm. month and making it like clean and simple. Um, so uh, we end on a cliffhanger. So Professor X just sort of wakes up and he's better. I don't know why. Like Lalandra kisses him or something like that. Um, is again like love is the answer. So just like Kitty's yeah. love saves Storm from being a vampire, and Lilandra's I mean, love wakes up Professor X. Maybe is there a brood in him? I guess I'm not sure. There definitely was one drawn in him. 
Yeah. But it was never said in speech balloons. So I wonder if that's like Claremont never really bought into that. Yeah, I don't know. And then we get um they kind of go to they go up to the uh the Shire spaceship to have a dinner date, <laughs> a dinner party of some sort. Celebration. Um they all get new costumes designed by Dave Cockrum. He loves doing that. They look and good. then uh Deathbird shows up with the brood and knocks them all out. Yeah. Cliffhanger. Yep. Um and so let's go to the last issue, which I really enjoyed. This is the yeah, best one of the four, fun. I think. It's also the simplest. Yep. The story itself is good, right? So it's like the yes. brood versus the X-Men. We do a little time jump forward from the end of the last issue. And instead of just bringing a dead person back to life, which is sometimes what happens in X-Men, yeah. we see the wolf, the X-Men have all been like mind controlled by the brood with chemicals and Wolverine, because of his healing factor, is resisting it more than the rest of them. And so he's on his own having to fight yeah. and save everybody else. And it's really fun. The issue starts with Wolverine like on the run in sort of space jungle. And we don't know what's going on. And so you're mm -hmm. thrown right in the middle of it. And it's yeah. a very fun place to start because last yeah. we knew he was unconscious next to everybody. Yeah. And now he's being chased by brood through a space jungle. Yeah. And he sort of has to remember how he got here. While also rescuing everyone. So we often see these sort of Wolverine on his own rescuing everybody. But the fact that we didn't see the build up to this one is very fun. Yes, it's it, like you say, it's a good little simple story in a way. It's like Wolverine versus the Brood. And what we find is that the Brood have sort of a Black Orchid-like power where they can like put a chemical in you that you're happy and you are hallucinating that everything around you is just fine. The Brood are these good-looking humans that you like. and. Yeah. And meanwhile, the brood are planting eggs inside of you, like like the movie Alien. Yeah. Um, and that it, that after time, that egg will take over your body and turn you into one of the brood. That's right. So, so they're just trying to drug you with a happy little illusion, Matrix style, long enough till their little egg hatches. And this is an upgrade to Wolverine's healing factor again, where his healing factor won't let this happen to his body. And that's why he sort of was resistant to it. He's resistant his, to the hallucinogen and to the egg growing. Yeah. So his body is sort of fighting it off naturally. Um, and by the end of the issue, he kind of figures out what's going on, but realizes now I got to save the other X-Men. I don't know how I'm going to do that or if it's even too late. Really exciting. Yeah. A very cool. And I also just, it makes me interested in just how much how, it makes me interested in how much the movie alien <laughs> was just on everybody's brain. Like Kitty, we already had Kitty fighting what essentially was a creature who looked like the monster from alien and yes. these brood are doing like an, an alien xenomorph move of like planting their young inside the hosts in kind of a hor horrifying thing um i don't know i think like i think yeah i think these brood aliens work better than the dream ghost alien that kitty pride fought um as far as the nemesis goes though we've obviously spent too much time with these brood already. We already spent two or three issues with them, and now we're back with them for. And I think that we're going to be with them for the next batch of episodes. There's pretty. So, there's some really cool, horrifying images in this issue, though. Yes. Um, the like two-page spread of the dead um, brood ship that they've used to like colonize the planet is kind of delightfully horrifying. Yeah. So these space whales that they fly around in because they've taken over the brains eventually die and then they sort of like use the corpse for their own needs too so it's just the brood are efficient they use the whole part of the space whale 
at one point Wolverine is like having a little flashback to the to the part of time that we skipped over, mm-hmm. which is after they were first knocked out. They have a halluc- they have a hallucination that there's these royal people greeting them. Um and like and like giving them um bracelets around their neck but in reality it's a huge insect queen injecting an egg into them yeah and so there's like a panel where wolverine is like then it was my turn and he's in his little new dave cockrum costume standing in front of this royal queen who leans over to his neck and then the next panel we see the reality which said it's a huge gross spider-like creature injecting an egg into him and i was like "Ooh, creepy it's like page 12 i think yeah and um we also get to see um one of the Imperial Guard, the, the uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, a the guy one who, who looks like Wolverine. He led the rebellion. Yeah, we saw we see him turn into a brood, and that's a pretty fun sequence too. Fang, I guess is his name. Yeah, um, and then Wolverine kills him in his brood form. Uh, another thing that happens in this issue, and I don't know if it's the first time or if this is already a catchphrase, but Wolverine says, "His I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I'm best yeah. at isn't very nice." Yes, yeah. this is the first time I've noticed him saying it. Um, uh, let's see where that it, is. He's basically like he's he's desperate to fight, and so he's like, I gotta just. He's trapped in a web. Yeah, he breaks out of there's there's other non-brood like parasites on this planet they've crashed on who attack him, and he has to go let himself go into berserker mode and just violently kill everything around him. Right. Um, yeah, I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I do best isn't very nice. I feel like the, the second best gets dropped later on, but I might be wrong on that, uh, having not read these comics. Having done no research. Um, we don't well, even when, I've heard, when I've heard service. it referenced, I feel like it's not referenced with that, but what I do isn't very nice instead of what I do best. I thought it was from the four-part miniseries Wolverine that Frank Miller drew, and, um, and I yeah. thought that it sounded like a Miller quote. I was like, I bet you Miller came up with it, but it looks like it might have been Claremont. So there you go. Um, Claremont seems pretty good. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. So this this is like a nice little horror action story. Um, Wolverine on his own, having to be as violent as possible is a good fit for his character. He resists the egg transformation, but it leaves his skin kind of scaly as if it was starting to transform him, but then stop. But that's kind of a cool look. Yes. Um, and so that we're, we end this issue with him having fought off his egg going in to save the X-Men. Pretty exci- I'm pretty excited. Yeah, it's and it is a very nice, um, how are you going to get out of this one sort of situation? Uh, you know, sometimes yeah. they get out of these things and it's like, how are they getting out of this one? And they'll probably just like fight back. Yeah. But this is like, I don't know how you get eggs out of people and like, it'll be interesting. And how does Wolverine help that happen? And it'll be interesting to see how they work that out. Uh, and I have not read ahead, so I don't know. Me either. I'm, it's kind of fun to be reading these. I'm like, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I'm looking forward. To, uh, I didn't enjoy these four issues, and I wasn't crazy about the last four issues. So it's been a bit of a dud of a year of X Men almost. <laughs> yeah, but I am I am left with this issue. going, oh, I am looking forward to the next issue. Yeah, they got you back. Um, should we take a break and then do some mail? Let's do it, Will. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics as partnered with Shortboxed. Shortboxed is an app and a website where you can safely buy and sell graded comics online. They're trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industry. As part of our partnership, we're going to be doing periodic giveaways. Uh, Their first giveaway is Dark Knight Returns number one. 
This is the 2018 foil cover edition, but it's signed by Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen, and it's graded 9.8. It's worth over $300 on most uh, things that value those sorts of things. Nice. So to enter this contest, go to shortbox.com slash screw it and enter your email. That's going into March 10, 2022. Everybody go ahead and do it. It's free. No purchase necessary. They will send you a coupon with a $15 of credit if you want to buy something at Shortboxed, but that's up to you. Yeah, but if you get a coupon, you got to use it. That's a law. You got to use all your coupons. Yeah. Kevin, if you were going to buy something from Shortbox today, what might you go shopping for? You can get anything you want. I'm going to get something with a piece of like gold oh, attached I, to it. Yes, or, I should have, yes, um, I should have said you can't make those kind of conditions. You have to actually just pick a comic book that you want for the comic I itself. I see. So nothing with secret riches or a treasure map. That was my next choice. I don't think they have such things on Shortboxed. I, mean, I don't know. I haven't looked at every listing. I haven't searched for hidden jewels on the app, but mm-hmm. I assume that's just not one of the comics they have. Well, if I can't ask for one with a treasure map in it, I will ask for Amazing Spider-Man 18. I believe mm. that's the the middle of the cowardly Spider-Man arc. Yes, I'm going to dub it right now. Okay. So 17 is the one where he runs away from a fight with the Green Goblin because he hears Aunt May is in the hospital. And 19 yeah. is where he suits up again and fights. But 18 is the issue in between where he spends the whole issue like hiding from action. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because he can't risk hurting himself while Aunt yeah. May depends on him so much. And it is... So fun. Yeah. Uh, If nothing else, just for Jonah Jameson's pure happiness. (laughs) I remember it. I mean, when we covered uh, all the Spidey issues, I remember we sort of discovered like, oh, this little three issue run is a great mini arc back in the original Amazing Spider-Man issues. Yeah. Uh, It's it's so fun. So I think about it a lot. Uh, Mine would be Fantastic Four 232. This is the first issue that was written and drawn by John Byrne. And I love it. I, I love that whole era of Fantastic Four. I love that issue in particular. So it's got kind of personal, you know, significance to me. Diablo is the villain. I just remember thinking it's really fun. I would, I would get that issue. You love potion based villains. They're, uh, they're my weakness. What can I say? Uh, that is a great run. John Burns whole run. It's just, there's something both new and classic about it at the same time. It's just so great. Glad you started talking. Cause I was trying to think of other potion based villains and I was really <laughs> right. coming up short. I gotta hope there isn't one, but <laughs> I mean, there probably is. So everybody, um, please enter the contest and download the app and uh, check it out. Let's get back to the show. Now? And now we're back, Will, just as it was foretold. We did a little time jump forward there, just like Wolverine at the end of that last issue. Uh, We've got some fun emails, Will. Oh, exciting. So if you want to email us, send us email, screwitcomics at Gmail. You can also tweet at us, screwitcomics, or follow our Instagram account, screwitcomics.com. Um, I want to praise Kevin's Instagram account again. I truly love it. I think the selections are great. Captions are great. I'm really enjoying seeing all the stuff. I would implore you to follow it and uh, send us an email about X-Men or any comics you want, Dark Knight Returns or any Frank Miller. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So this first one, Will, is from Keith Moser, who's written us before. Uh, I'm very excited about this one. After this, it's all downhill on the mailbag. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Hello, Heinz Brothers. Figured I'd reach out to thank you for helping me do a lot better than I should have on a tough specialty quiz all about Spider-Man. I'm part of a learned league, an online invite-only trivia league. Well, that's a brag. Uh, During the off-season, there are 12 questions specialty quizzes about niche subjects. Siblings in popular music, The Beatles' Abbey Road, uh, and I Think You Should Leave are recent examples. This past weekend, there was one all about Spider-Man. 
right. Quiz was focused almost entirely on Earth 616 set comics because I read along with you through the initial Lee Ditko run and listen to a lot more of your coverage on later storylines. I was able to get eight out of 12 right and land in the 78th percentile of participants. Hmm. Had I played a little smarter, riskier with my wagering, I could have landed in the 95th percentile with just eight slash 12, eight out of two, 12. Hmm. Uh, I'm attaching the questions just in case either of you want to test your spidey knowledge. I'm also including the answers along with how I did. So you can see how you did and how you helped me. So he sent these in separate files so I can read you the questions without me seeing the answers. Let's do it. So I have I read the first question because I, I opened it to see what it looked like. And then once I saw that, I was like, oh, this will be fun to do on the podcast. So I've only read the first question before. This might be the best letter we've ever gotten. That's right. Uh, so let's see how you do, Will. Uh, me? And me. Okay. Well, and me, but uh, I need I need uh, your help. I don't know. Comics. I can I can cheat. Uh, let's start with number one. Let's start with what I consider one of the easier ones for this quiz. Um, P- of course, Peter Parker was raised by his uncle Ben and Aunt May. But what were his parents' first names? Hmm. It's Richard and Mary. I believe that's that's what I would say too. Yeah. Um, I gotta open another fu- page so I can have the answers. Oh, open, look at I the guess. demands on you. You gotta be like a regular hacker. I wasn't, re- here. I wasn't ready for this. Opening up two documents at once. Oh my gosh. I, I did have a job once when I was a 26 that my job was basically file management like this, like just moving files around directories just because nobody in this company wanted to do it. Pretty exciting story. Uh, Richard and Mary. Yes, Richard and Mary. All right, you got uh, it. I'm not going to read the details because I don't want to see the next answers. In fact, we, I, we might just go through these and then go back and check the answers. That Copy. might be easier because I, I just glanced some words and so now I feel like I'm cheating. Number two. Ben Parker was the love of May Riley's life, but since his death in the comics, she has had four significant romantic. Oh, it just opened uh, the answers. Uh, she had four significant romantic relationships. One was a near marriage to Dr. Octopus. <laughs> of the other three, one resulted in marriage, one led to living together and an engagement, and one has seemingly been erased from history. Name any of these three paramours. I can name two of them right off. Okay, one of them is J. Jonah Jameson Sr. That's right. And they uh, get married. They get married. And then there's the the guy in the wheelchair who mm-hmm. um, That's the dies. Other one I know. Nathan. Nathan Lubensky. Okay. Do I get credit uh, for They're Nathan? the ones, I believe they are engaged. He gets killed by the vulture, I think. Yeah. In the Sinister Six uh, thing with Dave, David Michelini. Now I'm trying to think, who's the third one? Um, I know the third one. Let's think real quick. I don't think I know. I it. don't think I know the third one. I don't know the third one. Galactus. Okay. It might be Galactus. Uh, let's um, let's go through a few more questions and we'll read the answers. Okay. Many people feel the Green Goblin is Spider-Man's most significant foe, but a lot of people have taken on that identity with one Phil Urich, even trying to make it a heroic one. Take a shot at naming the third Green Goblin, the first one not to be an Osborn, as seen in this image. Oh, I don't remember his name, but I know. He is Harry Osborne's therapist. <laughs> I don't know this. I don't know this. So yeah, after <laughs> after Norman and Harry had briefly worn it, uh, Harry's therapist becomes the Green Goblin. I think for just a couple of stories, but I don't remember his name. Yeah, that's a deep cut. I don't know it. Uh, I think these get harder as we go. Well, so I we like how seductive trouble. the idea of being Green Goblin is that people can't resist this insane yeah. costume and probably a hard to ride glider. Seems easy. People seem to jump on that thing and just handle it. Because <laughs> most people do it without the serum. So they're just normal dudes. Yeah. Flying around on it. I think it is intuitive. Okay. 
That's what I'm standing by. Oh, this is easy. Uh, number four. If the Human Torch writes, Spider-Man, meet me at the usual place in the sky Statue with this flame. Which landmark will they meet at? Yes, for sure. The Statue of Liberty. I think that was a Strange Tales annual that set that up because for a long time they would do that. I was like, when did that become the usual place? But I always knew it was the usual place. Yeah, in Amazing Spider-Man, it's like, meet us at our usual place is the first appearance in the Amazing Spider-Man issues. It's already been a thing established somewhere else. Yeah. Um, While on a high school field trip, Peter Parker was bitten by a radioactive spider and became Spider-Man. You didn't know that? That fills in some blanks for me. Over 50 years later, in real time, and over a decade after Peter graduated high school in comic book time, we and Peter learned that a spider also bit a classmate before dying. A classmate? Who was the classmate or what superhero name did she adopt as shown in the image above right? Okay. Uh, huh. You want me to show you the image? You might. I don't sure. know if you're I know it right off. I know the superhero name. This, uh, this lady here on the right. Uh, I don't know. And I'm going to guess Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman. I know it's not, not right because she's San Francisco, but I don't know. Uh, her name is her character name is Silk. Oh, I don't right. Know her, I don't know her normal name. We I, we blew it. We blew uh, that it. was a, that was established during the slot era. Okay, uh, but I, I get credit for it because uh, or what superhero name did she adopt? So, so I, you, I get you get it. All right, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's considered one of the most extreme examples supporting the theory that the answer to who'd win in a fight between X and Y is whoever the writer wants to win. In Amazing Spider-Man 279 through 280, which former Herald of Galactus did a nom- normally powered Spider-Man manage to beat in a fight? 279-80. So could be Silver Surfer, could be um, – is Annihilus a Herald? No. Um, he was not a Herald, no. Uh, I know no, the answer to this, so I'm letting you – Nova was a Herald. Uh, Torch's mm-hmm. uh, Frankie former Ray Nova, yes. Yeah. Um, it seems like in the era that Marvel would let Spidey Man beat up a woman and they'll like just be like, that's a fair fight. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Well, I'll feel stupid. I'm going to guess Silver Surfer. It's Fire Lord. Ah, I wouldn't have gotten it. Uh, yeah. Um, and a lot of people think he shouldn't. Have, it was a boring fight. It was sort of, try, I think, trying to be like the juggernaut fight, but it just, he just punches him a lot and eventually wins. As opposed to like the juggernaut, which felt like he... I know this next one. I haven't read the question yet, so slow down. Okay. Norman Osborn was the first to realize that Spider-Man was Peter Parker. But who was the second person in comics publication order to do so? Retcons where someone found out earlier than that don't count. So that takes out like Mary Jane or something. Yeah. Who knew, I guess, before Norman. Peter did not know... That he knew until just before his death, okay, which was originally blamed on Spider-Man as seen in the image below, but was indirectly caused by Dr. Octopus. I don't even need the image. It's Captain Stacy. Yeah, it's Captain Stacy. Um, Too much Glenn information. Stacey's I wasn't dead. sure who it was until it said uh, right before his death. Yeah, that's what that's what told me it also. What's yeah. Stacy's first name, though? George. Ah, okay. I hope I get uh, him with Captain Stacy. Uh, amazing Spider-Man 96 to 98 were notorious for being approved by, by, for, not by being the, for not being approved by the then ubiqu- ubiquitous uh, Comics Code Authority and lacking its seal. The reason was that one character was shown getting hooked on illegal drugs. Give that character's first and last name. The image shows the top parts of the cover of 96 and 99 with a CCACL 99 outlined in red. Do you know? I don't know. I'm going to guess Flash Thompson because I know oh, that You he don't is- know this? This is very famous. I know. I I know that this story happened, and I know that mm-hmm. the comics code didn't endorse it, and Stan Lee did it anyway. But I don't yeah. know. It's Harry Osborn, buddy. Oh, that makes sense. 
Sorry, buddy. I don't know why I called you buddy there, but I did. I deserve it. Um, number nine. I'm doing really good on this test, by the way. I think I've missed one. I don't know the Green Goblin guy's name. Uh, number nine. Rogers, the musical, notwithstanding, Spider-Man is so far the only Marvel character with their own Broadway musical, and it wasn't Parker the musical. What was its four-word title that followed Spider-Man? It's not Into the Dark? That's what I thought it was. Yeah, I think that is it. But that's three words. Maybe it's a uh, into. I, I remember the reading dark. in the '80s that they were developing another musical that never happened, and I thought a it Captain was America that. one. Oh, I thought there was a Spidey one too. I, I just remember the the ad with Captain America like dancing. Okay, that's what I'm remembering. That's what I'm. But remembering. it might not have been about Spider Man. It might have just been a Marvel. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it was just Into the Dark, wasn't it? Uh, no, Turn Off the Dark. Turn Off the Dark. Yeah. Turn Off the Dark. Great. Boy, oh Number boy. ten. After having the Daily Bugle sold out from under him and a term as mayor of New York City, J. Jonah Jameson is now working for a tabloidish news website with an appropriate for Jonah three-word name. What are the two nouns in the name which uh, match two words and are frequently attributed to Jonah headline about Spider-Man? While the website pluralizes them, I'll accept their singular form from the headline. What's threat or menace is what this has to be referring yeah, to. Yeah, those are the two words. So maybe threats and menaces is what the pot, his thing is This called? is only asking for the two nouns. So you've got it with threat and menaces. But okay, I think great. it's called threats and menaces is the name of the podcast. Yeah. Originally done in a Denny O'Neill Frank Miller annual, not in the old Stan Lee stories. Yeah, we've got more information than these questions want. Sometimes these questions should stop halfway and I'd still get them. Uh, in the original Spider-Man clone saga, the Jackal cloned two people. One is Peter Parker. Who is the other person? First or last name are acceptable. No idea. Got to know them both. I don't know. Gwen. Oh, Gwen, Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Wow. I'm pretty sure. We'll check the answers in a minute. Uh, these days, Spider-Man's costume often supplies him a variety of high-tech gadgets. However, during his first hundred issues, he only regularly carried three with him, or maybe four, depending on those eye lenses that change shapes. At least when Ditko drew them. His little, lip shooters, little shade there. Yeah, I don't think they changed shape that much when Ditko drew them. I disagree. Uh, his <laughs> web shooters and their web fluid cartridges were the first. Second was his belt buckle flashlight spider signal. The third was initially purely electronic, but later modified to work with his spider sense. What was the third device? Spider tracer. He's yeah. Uh, his camera doesn't count. That's what he I, I agree. I agree as well. Okay. Uh, we got all, that's all the questions. This was really fun. Let's see. Richard and Mary. Got it. Uh, so, uh, Keith did not know that. Sorry, yeah. Keith, we let you down. You blew it. Uh, John Jonah Jameson senior or Nathan Lubensky or Edwin Jarvis. Uh, I forgot he lived, she lived in like Avengers mansion when he was, uh, a known quantity. I forgot about that. Dated Jarvis. Yeah, That's really fun. Yeah. Uh, he, he guessed Jameson, uh, because he was thinking Jonah Jameson. So he got lucky. He says, uh, so he got some points for that. Dr. Bart Hamilton. Yes, that's the name of the therapist. Oh, there was a take a shot hint at the name in the question. Oh, which, which I didn't, didn't get. You didn't get. I didn't catch that. Statue of Liberty. Yes. Got it. Cindy Moon or Silk. Okay, you got it. Uh, uh, Bo, Keith got Statue of Liberty because he thinks we mentioned it. Uh, he, he did not get Cindy Moon or Silk. <laughs> uh, Fire Lord. Missed this one too. Sorry. Keith, we're really letting you down here. Um, he guessed Silver Surfer. That's my guess. Uh, Captain George Stacy. He guessed that up because of the movie. Uh, Harry Osborne. 
Um, yeah, he yeah, guessed. He guessed he, Keith got that right because he guessed Harry would get into some trouble. Good, good thinking, Keith. Turn off the dark. We almost missed this with Into the Dark, but we got it. Yep, you saved us. Uh, Keith's asking if we ever saw it. I did not. I did not either. Uh, threats and menaces. This was the third hardest of all twelve questions, and he's yeah. I don't he think threat and menace is known outside of the comics. Although it's it's in every movie and video game, there's always an Easter egg to threat and menace. Yeah. It's not it's not usually framed up too much. Uh, Gwen Stacy. Yep, I did not know that. He guessed he guessed last name Stacy. Oh, smart! He guessed Stacy. Going, it could be the dad too. He gave himself a little extra space there. Good trivia plan. Uh, spider tracers or spider trackers? No, not trackers. They're tracers. Yeah. Um, cool. That was really fun. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Keith. You brought some joy into our dismal lives. Cool. Let's let's burn through a bunch more now. Okay. Uh, now th- these other people didn't send us trivia questions, so they're sort of dud. <laughs> okay. Uh, emailers. <laughs> Anyway, first dud uh, is Patrick. <laughs> uh, Patrick says, dear Will and Kevin, you said you wanted to talk video, cool video games, and I'm taking the bait to ask a question. Of the comics you have covered so far, which do you think would make the best video game? Or maybe which story would make the best video game? I like that question, Patrick. I take it back. You're no dud. <laughs> you won me over. The first one I thought of is Human Torch. It'd be very fun to control the Human Torch mm-hmm. and fly around just powers-wise. But I don't think he would make the best story I think the best story would be like a like you need like Wolverine. You need somebody with like a tragic, like a tragic past or something yeah. like that. You need like the big emotional hit. So they're making a Wolverine game with the people who did Spider Man. Oh, that's going to be great then. So I'm going to pick I mean, Wolverine. This issue we just covered with Wolverine would make a fun game. I agree. So I pick Wolverine. Kevin, I mean, is it dumb to pick Dark Knight Returns, which we're also covering? No, I don't think it's dumb. But uh, I'm an idiot, that, so that doesn't mean anything. I think that also would be a really fun story. More than year one, which I don't think there's quite enough action. There's a lot of action in, in Dark Knight Returns. Plus opportunities old, to visually style stuff. Yeah, and an old Batman would be a fun take on the game, yeah. like having to deal with his age. And, and yeah. also fighting Superman as like a final battle. That'd be really fun. Nice. Anyway, I can't think beyond the stuff we talked about this week. <laughs> right. We're dumb. Uh, Micah, whose podcast we've been on well, has emailed us. Hey, yo, brotherhood of evil sort of comedians. It's Micah again, and I had a question for you both. The great Marvel villain Kingpin premiered in Amazing Spider-Man 50 and was for a long time Spidey's nemesis. When Frank Miller hit the scene with Daredevil, he was able to transform Kingpin to Daredevil's main bad guy. Right. Now, obviously, Kingpin deals with many heroes in the Marvel Universe, but I think at this point, he's most associated, most associated with Daredevil, and I would venture to guess that most people assume he's always been Daredevil's foe. Yeah. This leads me to my question. Can you think of any other villains that premiered and were featured in a book intended to be a villain of a certain hero, but somewhere down the line, they became associated with a different hero? Tough one. I mean, Sandman fought the FF a lot in the Fightful Four, but I still think of him as a Spidey villain and he first. Comes, and he came back to Spider-Man now. But yes, if he had stayed with the FF, he would for sure qualify. But I, and he stayed uh, with the FF for a while. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times this ha- like Spider-Man character villains often do this, like um, they'll like because Spider-Man has so many villains, there'll be like a new hero will be created and they'll sort of be like, oh, they're going to fight whoever. Uh, Mysterio is going to be their main villain for a mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. And then that title either doesn't last uh, or or whatever. And Mysterio goes back to Spider-Man eventually. But that yeah. happens a lot just because it gives like some cachet to the new character being like, oh, they're fighting like this real established villain. Yeah. I, I think of Jack O'Lantern. Uh, I don't know if he's a big enough deal, but he started as a machine man villain. And then he came okay. over to spider, Spider-Man took him when machine man got canceled. Okay. A machine man created Jack O'Lantern when Ditko was penciling it. So it fit. 
stylistically. That's not a great answer, though. Yeah. Uh, doesn't Mortis count? He sort of becomes, if you count him as Kang, he becomes more of an Avengers villain. Kang was born in the FF. Was Kang also an FF character? At first. Then Kang he for sure he, counts, because I think of him as an Avengers villain. Yeah, he shows up in the Black Panther story. I mean, Thanos is kind of considered the Guardians of the Galaxy villain or or all of Marvel, but he's really more of a Silver Surfer thing. Yeah. Can't think of as good an example as a Kingpin though. Like Kingpin really is the best the example. Nemesis, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Micah. Thank you, Micah. Oh, partial dud, I would say for that one. Partial dud. Uh, no uh, quiz. Paul emails us, dear Hines Brothers. I was curious if you would recommend X Men Grand Designs by Ed Piscor. I'd love a reason to buy the reimagined Origins of X Men while I wait for the Hickman X Men Omnibus to be released. Also, if you're looking for another book outside of Marvel, I would love an excuse to reread. East of West, one of my absolute favorites. East of West is a book that Jonathan Hickman has done for Image. I assume you have not read X-Men Grand Design well? I have not. I did, and it didn't stick with me, but at that time I had not read. It's basically a retelling of the Claremont era X-Men. Okay. By Ed Piscor, whose art is really cool. And I read it, I borrowed it from somebody and I read it, and it was fine, but I didn't know the stories it was adapting. So I think it didn't hit me as hard. It looks beautiful. So I think yeah. if you're looking for an excuse, just get it. I mean, it looks great. Does he do um, hip hop family tree? I think he, it's the same guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love his art. Um, so his art's great. And that's a good enough reason to get it there. It doesn't really, from my recollection, really change anything. It's just sort of like, here's a story told in very compacted form with Ed drawing it. Yeah. And that doesn't sound so bad. Um, I do wonder how many comics try to like assume that you've read the earlier versions. There just seems to be so many. Yeah. I mean, this is a, I mean, this book seems to wear it on its sleeve at the very least. Yeah. We got an email. Oh, James, there it is at the bottom. I was trying to find a name in there. Yeah. Um, hey, Milk Sops. I was wondering if you cowards. Oh, he's challenged us. We have to fight him. Who is this? Uh, you said James and he's from Germany. We'll find him. I was wondering if you cowards have watched the long Halloween animated adaption starring Jensen Ackles. Many fans, including myself, say it's improved on the original comic and has an amazing art style that mimics the cell shading of 80s comics very nicely. The characterization of Batman is amazing and it adds some much needed depth for not only the Dark Knight, but his millionaire persona of Bruce Wayne. The visual symbolism is great and I think Will especially would like it. That's you, Will. What? Uh, thanks for taking the time to read this and have a good rest of the podcast, considering this isn't the last email read. <laughs> James from Germany. Thank you, James. I have not seen it. I've read the last Halloween, yet. but I haven't seen the adaptation. Yeah, it's on HBO Max. It's on my to-watch list. It's two parts, so I haven't... Uh, it's, it's it's long. I, have to, I basically have to set aside time to get to it. Yeah. I've heard good things about it. I hadn't heard that it's better. You're the first to say that, and I accept that Thank claim. You. Thank you, James. I'm not going to read this one, but Chris Huber has emailed in to recommend that we read Steve Gerber's Man-Thing or Howard the Duck, and then listen to our latest podcast where somebody else recommended we read those runs. So he has changed it from recommending it to a seconding it <laughs> well we're interested we're interested in gerber so that's something we want to do yeah so there you go thank you chris thank you chris this is a long one uh will from jeff it says hey i'm jeff um a long halloween is, one this is mostly directed at you no it's all all seasons mm. so maybe i'll forward this to you mostly uh i think he thinks he's about your age and so he just relates to a lot of things you talk about okay this seems like um, a comedy bang bang fan. I, we get a lot of comedy bang bang fans who listen to this podcast, yes. and I think maybe they assume that everyone who listens to this podcast is a comedy bang bang fan, and that's not true. So I think there's a lot of references here that people won't know. Yeah. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, other than uh, he's enjoying the podcast uh -huh. and he relates to a lot of your memories of comics. So I think he grew up in the same sort of era. Yeah, that makes sense. 
But I'll forward that to you, Will, so you can enjoy it. Just like me, he's 28 years old. No comment. Michael emails us, or Mike, dear Milksop Bros. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was looking around online for the old 90s Marvel novels when I was a kid, of which there were many. Some of them were very good, or at the least very fun, and written by comic greats like Peter David and Tom DeFalco. What I stumbled upon during this hunt was a newer novel by David List called Spider-Man Hostile Takeover, which is set a few months before the start of the Spider-Man video game. I thought you both might be interested being fans of the game itself. My quick non-spoiler review is that it's great. It's a very quick read. If you weren't invested in the games, I wouldn't recommend it as it doesn't add much to the whole Spider-Man mythos, but it does flesh out the game's universe a little and expands on some of the backstory that the game glosses over. It also introduces a few Marvel characters that were not in the game itself, which is always neat. Uh, One other thing I wanted to touch on was the definition of timelessness, which you both discussed in Mutants and Mailbags number 16. Do we number our mailbags? Yeah, I do in the titles of the episodes. Oh, impressive. I believe, I thought maybe this guy just counted them. I believe to be a timeless story must have themes, ideas, and messages that remain true regardless of when you're reading the story. Pride and Prejudice is a good example of this. The character setting and plots are far away from timeless as you could possibly get. Uh, However, the overall message of the story rings true regardless of when you read it. Don't be too proud of your worth and don't let prejudices blind you to another's worth. This, of course, is just my opinion, and I'm open to it being ridiculed and smashed apart if it means bettering my understanding of the world. So until Ant May becomes a TikTok sensation, make mine screw it. Uh, Thank you, Mike. I think Pride and Prejudices is timeless. Uh, I think being set in the past helps, actually. I think when it's set in a very specific time period. Yeah, it, it's more timeless because whenever you read it, it, it doesn't need to be modernized. It's not like, oh, why yeah. aren't there cell phones in this? Well, Pride and Prejudice was set in its modern time when it came out. It's just sure. now. Well, I guess. Yeah. And it just holds up. Yeah. But but I think you don't. But you don't read Pride and Prejudice going, oh, man, uh, this doesn't make sense. Nobody would talk this way. You go, this is how they talked back then, maybe or something. It works to read it now. It's still an mm-hmm. amazingly popular book, one of the best selling books of all time to this day. Yeah. A book about getting married written by a woman who never got married. So you're saying she doesn't know what she's talking about? She's a liar. She's a fraud and she should be canceled. No. um, Wow. uh, Canceled? (laughs) Guess she's not hosting the Oscars this year. (laughs) That says like timeless, like holds up. And I I think I have a more narrow definition of timeless where it's got to be like, I I would disqualify any period pieces almost unless it Hmm. was like a, like, like an, Unless it was in a sort of stylized fictional past at the moment of publication that can sort of our relationship to that remains the same throughout time. Oh, interesting. So, uh, but by by that definition, almost nothing is timeless. I think his definition is more what people say, which is like timeless is just like, it's still good. Shakespeare is not timeless, right? You read it and it's like, geez, this is barely English. (laughs) But the stories are timeless. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's. A, I guess we just don't. We all have different definitions of what timelessness is. Because for me, it is like something where it's like the era of it doesn't stand out to me. And like, I guess it. That's not quite right. Because the era of Pride and Prejudice super stands out, but it's yeah. part of the. It's part it's of part the of the appeal. story. Uh, where like some books, some movies I watch or, or books I'll read, I'll just sort of be like, ah, this feels sort of out of touch. Like it's, you know. Yeah, does it feels like it needs to be modernized or tweaked, uh, something like that, and where you wouldn't think that about a classic book. But I, I guess I don't know what makes that transition happen. Like watching Star Wars today versus watching in 1977, it's ju- it's equally fantastic. Yeah, and even though like the haircuts are clearly of the era, yeah, that doesn't throw it off yeah. at all. Uh, are you gonna read this book, Will? Spider-Man Hostile Takeover. Yeah, I'll read it today. Okay, <laughs> great. 
And then our final email is from Howard. Really enjoying the discussion of Dark Knight Returns. I thought you'd like to know that one of my college classes, we studied the Dark Knight Returns graphic novel. To be honest, I can't really remember why we did it. I think it was just about appreciating different types of media. As a comics nerd who had already read it, I was excited to buy the graphic novel at the college bookstore. Thought you'd be amused to hear about it. Keep up the great work, Howard. I mean, it makes sense to me that this would be, if you were going to read a great uh, example of comic books, that this would be one of the ones they would consider. Yeah, this one or Watchmen would be sort of the first choices. Maybe the class was called Fascism is Good. (laughs) He's forgetting that. Um, thank you for all the emails, everyone. Uh, not enough trivia contests. We only got one of those this week, but uh, I really appreciate all of the emails anyway. Yeah, screw it, comics at Gmail to uh, to to talk to us. Please do so. Also, enter our shortbox contest, shortbox.com slash screw it. Win a free copy of Dark Knight Returns number one from 2018. We want everybody listening to enter it. It's free. Yes, I mean, please enter it. Win that yeah. contest. Show the force of screw it wants free stuff. Yes. The Merry Marching Milksop Society wants free stuff. Show it. Yeah. Show that our fan base is cheap and greedy. <laughs> uh, Kevin, I'm excited for next episode. Dark Knight Returns number three. Ooh, Joker. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. Just about comics. I'm Mark David Christensen. I'm Kate Thompson. And together we host Ah, Crap. A Hellboy podcast. The show dedicated to the world of the half-demon hero created by Mike Mignola and published by Dark Horse Comics. Our show returns this February 16th as we continue every Wednesday to make our way through the pages of Hellboy, BPRD, Witchfinder, and many more related comic book titles. Plus, we discuss the various Hellboy live-action and animated films, novels, and other media adaptations. And occasionally, we're joined by various guests that share our passion. Previous guests include Tad Stones, creator of Darkwing Duck and Hellboy Animated, Joshua Dysart, writer of BPRD's 1946, Hector Navarro from Nerdist Book Club and just a big old fan, Jonathan Mark Speravecchia, comic book artist and also friend of the podcast, Cody Ziegler, writer of Amazing Spider-Man and other Marvel comic books, and many more guests. So tune in. February 16th and every Wednesday to All Crap, a Hellboy podcast on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.